Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. There is indeed a change coming to Israel. Not only the people of Israel, but also the land of Israel. We're going to be looking at a prophecy that speaks clearly concerning the last days and the changes that God is going to bring to Israel. And I use this term in the fullest sense, the people and the land and God's call for Israel as a kingdom people, a kingdom nation, a kingdom reality. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 40. Now, we have spent a long time thus far in the prophecy of Isaiah. And we have seen up until now there has been numerous prophecies of judgment. Judgment after judgment on the people of Israel, upon her neighbors. And we see now that there is a significant change in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is going to begin to focus in on many of those prophecies that when we think about Isaiah, we remember. What gives us our love for this book of Isaiah? So with that said, we're going to be turning now to a portion of this book that speaks about, and the word I want to share with you is the word comfort. It is a most significant word throughout the scriptures. Let's begin. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. We read a phrase which is well known throughout Israel, where it says in Hebrew, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, which means comfort, comfort my people. Now, one of the things that we need to know is that language is important. And when you just read this word comfort in the English, you miss out on so much. Because this word for comfort is the same word that when Yeshua began his earthly ministry, he left the, the Galilean city of Nazareth, and he went down to Kafar Nahum or Capernaum. And the reason for that is that there's a prophecy, which we've already spoken of earlier on in Isaiah, that tells us when that light begins to shine and righteousness is called, we find that it's going to begin in the Galilee, in a specific place in the Galilee, between the two tribes, the border of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, along the sea. The sea is the Sea of Galilee, the Canaret. 
And this is why Yeshua began his earthly ministry at this location. This is where his headquarters were. And it's all connected to this word for comfort. So he says here, comfort, comfort my people. Even the rabbis understand that now we're turning to a very messianic section within the prophecy of Isaiah. That God's going to do the work of comfort, which we're going to find out, has to do with his work of redemption. And so many of the terms here are going to be repeated over and over in the rest of the chapters of Isaiah to show us their significance and give us an understanding that cannot be missed out when we look at this word in the literal way, taking every clue that the word of God gives us and arriving at the message of this prophecy of Isaiah. So we read here in verse 1, comfort, comfort, and it's a word of commandment. You comfort, comfort, comfort my people. And then it says, and your God will say. Now, I don't know why, but so many of the English translations, in fact, I checked 28 of the most common English translations, and they all say something that's exactly the same but incorrect. They will say, your God says, but it's not the word says. It is the word for will say, and this is significant. Why? This lets us know that in the days of Isaiah, this is prophetic. It's not going to happen in his day, but rather later on. It is a futuristic and what we can see from the content of this first part of Isaiah chapter 40, it has to do with an end times context. So it is grammatically incorrect to translate this in the present, rather it's in the future. Comfort, comfort my people. Your God will say, now look at verse 2, speak concerning, and the next word is lave, not a difficult word. The word is heart. Again, some Bibles, they, they take it to be a different concept. Speak to the heart, they will say, speak comfort. This is not what it says. Verse 1 has the word for comfort, not verse 2. So it literally says, speak unto the heart of Jerusalem. Now, when I hear that, what that teaches me is that there's going to be a change. Heart is related to thought. And God is going to do work, we'll see this in a moment, that is going to bring comfort, and that comfort work that he's going to do is going to give Israel, I'm speaking about the Jewish people, a different perspective. They're going to look, they're going to see, they're going to think about things differently. This is what the prophet is telling us. Once more, verse 2, speak concerning the heart of Jerusalem. That, that they call, and it's literally that they will call, once again in the future, unto her, meaning unto Jerusalem, for 
the well warfare. Now, this is a word for, for conflict. For her warfare is full. It has been made complete. Meaning this, that God has deemed something different for Israel. That Israel's war, this struggle, this opposition, this persecution is going to come to an end. And instead of experiencing the conflict of, of battle, they're going to experience comfort. God is speaking to them that they need to change how they're thinking in order that this will become a reality. So once more, second part of verse 2, and they will proclaim unto her that her warfare has ended. For her iniquity, and this word has to do with, with being in an acceptable state. Something, and this foreshadows a very important biblical truth. And that truth is a future redemption. That her iniquity is going to be reconciled, be dealt with. Her condition of iniquity is going to change whereby in the end, Israel's going to be made acceptable to God. So it speaks about a future change coming whereby there's going to be reconciliation, peace, comfort between the Jewish people and the God of Israel. And then it completes in verse 2 by saying, For she has received from the hand of the Lord twice, double, for all of her iniquities. This speaks about and foreshadows the great suffering that the Jewish people are going to go through throughout their history. And it's going to be that this suffering is going to come to an end. The cause of it was faithlessness. Faithful, faithlessness is always related to sinfulness. And now there's going to be this change. Now let's move to verse 3. This is a verse that's, that's related to, to Yohanan Hamadbil, John the Baptist, where it says, a voice calls, it's in the present, the voice calls in the wilderness. And it's a word of clearing away, clear away unto the Lord. Make straight in the desert a, a highway for our God. Now, the use of, of this verse in regard to the ministry of John the Baptist in being the forerunner of Yeshua speaks to, and there's no other way to understand it, it speaks to the divinity of Messiah. That Yeshua is not just a messenger of, of God, but he is God in and of himself. Make room, it says, for our God, speaking about Yeshua. And then it says in verse 4, for, and this involves the change that is coming. I mentioned that Israel is going to go through a great change, a metamorphosis. And we see that displayed in poetic language where it says, for the valley will be lifted up. Now, there's going to be two different words for valley 
in this, this verse. One speaks about a very, very deep and a very narrow valley. Another one speaks about a valley that's almost like a, a plain. So he says here in regard to this steep valley, he says, for a valley is going to be lifted up and every mountain and every hill is going to be made low. So a change, a change from that which is low is going to be brought up and that which is high is going to be made low. There's a drastic change that's coming into the world. It says in every crooked place is going to be made straight. And then we have a term for kind of a, a mountain range. And this speaks about uh, smaller mountains and a range that, that goes for a distance. And it's going to be made into a valley. But this is a different word for valley. Speaking of one that is very broad, wide, long. So when we look at this, we see that God speaks about hills and mountains, steep valleys and broad valleys. And he's going to bring about a change. A change into the land. Now this is poetic. Speaking about the change that's going to come to Israel. What was is not going to be. And what will be that's not present today is going to be the new reality. So you can't look at this passage and come away with a perspective that God is done with the land of Israel. That this is something that's in the past. That land isn't important any longer to God. One who has that perspective is not biblically or prophetically accurate. They are missing out on the significance of what God is saying in this passage, verse 5. This change in Israel is going to have an outcome. And what is that outcome? Look at verse 5. The glory of the Lord has been revealed. This change is going to produce a change where the glory of God is going to be revealed. And it says that all flesh together, they will see. Now, it's significant that the term here in, in verse, verse 5 is a verse for kol basar, all flesh. This is a term for humanity. What God is doing here, this should not surprise us, because we know, biblically, that God has created Israel in order to bring blessing into this world through revelation, through the truth of God. And now, what it's saying is that this fulfillment, this comfort, this change to Israel, is going to have implications for all flesh. And it just shows us, once again, this principle that Israel is going to be a tool, is a tool, and will be the tool that God uses in the last days to bring about a great change to humanity. This is what Isaiah is revealing. So look again at verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh together will see. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
And this tells us, this last part of the verse tells us that the foundation for bringing this change is the Word of God. And that is why we need to be so committed to the study of God's Word. There is nothing else in this world that is going to give us the insight, the revelation, that if we take and apply faith to it and utilize it in our life, responding to its instructions with obedience, it is going to bring a great and awesome change to us. We're going to be different in how we see things. We're going to behave different from how the world behaves. And we're going to stand out. Stand out for God. That is our call, to be visible. What do I mean by that? Witnesses to bear testimony. Not to be under a, a basket. Not to be hidden, but to be visible as the servants of God. So he speaks about, through this change, a change to the land of Israel, the people of Israel, that the glory of God is going to be revealed to all flesh, all humanity. Now look at verse 6. The voice speaks and calls and will say. So it's speaking. This voice is calling out. and one has said in this passage, what will I call? What is going to be what's said? And this is what the revelation is. It speaks about the, the frailty of humanity. So look again at verse 5. The voice says, it has called, and it will say, and then one is saying, what? will I call out? And this is what he's supposed to call out. All flesh is grass, and all of, in this case, would be his fairness, his, his grace. And here it's speaking about a human uh, uh, beauty, a, a human condition that is pleasing. And it says here, in regard to that, that all of this beauty, all of this fairness, all of this grace is like the flower of the field. And what does it mean by that? Well, he's speaking about that which is temporal. This is the problem with humanity as an outcome of sin, the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. Humanity has been changed. And we know what that change is. It came by sin, and sin is related to death. And death speaks about mortality, a temporalness, that which comes to an end. But God, through his work of redemption and this kingdom covenant that Messiah mediates, we find that he brings that which is eternal. So it destroys death and gives life an eternal life. This is what this passage is foreshadowing for us. So look at verse 7. Once again, speaking about humanity in our natural state, having experienced the, the frailty of, of sin, what sin produced, this mortality, he says, and the grass 
dries out and the flower withers. But the spirit of the Lord has blown upon it. Now, spirit oftentimes speaks about bringing a godly order. And this is what God is up to. This is what this prophecy speaks about. God bringing a change that produces his order. And there is an inherent relationship between the will of God, the order of God, and the outcome of God's purposes and plan. So the order of God relates to the will of God, which is going to produce the desires of God. And all of this is the outcome of the work of the Spirit of God. So once more, look at verse 7. For the Spirit of the Lord has blown upon it. Indeed, this grass is who? The people. So he speaks about and is very aware of the people's condition. They are like uh, grass and a flower, here today, but gone tomorrow. Fading, withering, nothing that, that endures, nothing which lasts. There's this temporalness that will be brought to an end. This is the people. Verse 8. Once more he says, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but here's what gives us hope. Here's the change. He says, but the word of our God will stand. Many Bibles says stands, but it will stand forever. Now, what's the difference? Well, it's not simply standing, but it speaks about a future outcome. What God's promise, we don't necessarily see it today. But it's going to stand, it's going to be, in the, perhaps the better way to understand this is that it will be established forever, these things. We're not necessarily experiencing them now. We don't see them. They're not taking place in the physical, but God has promised them, and they will be, and here's the key, they will be the eternal reality. And when we speak about an eternal reality, what should come into our mind is a kingdom reality. And it's the word of God that reveals to us this kingdom truth. This is what's being emphasized in verse 8. Now let's go to verse 9. Once again, speaking about this word, which is the source of change. Concerning the mountain and the hill, he says, go up unto it. So this mountain, this hill, this high mountain, is perhaps a better way to say it. Upon this high mountain, upon it go up, and he's speaking to one, Nevaseret. Now, there is a, a small community outside of Jerusalem on the way to Tel Aviv today, and it's called Mevaseret. Literally, Mevaseret Sion, which is a word, this word Mevaseret. How can we translate that? Well, it could be the word for evangelists, because the word Mevaseret 
is a word which means to proclaim good news. A good news about redemption. Good news that produces a kingdom reality. So the fact that we find these words, and I'll get more specific in a moment, these words in this passage tells us that this has a gospel connection, this change, this revelation that he's speaking about. Once more, verse 9. We read, Upon this, this high mountain you go up. Who's to go up? The evangelist of Sion. This one who proclaims good news for Zion. And it says, lift up with power your voice. And then we have Mevetzeret, but not Mevetzeret Sion, but it's parallelism, it's Hebrew poetry. Mevetzeret Yerushalayim. And it's simply speaking about this connection between Jerusalem and what Jerusalem is going to become, Sion. I've said so many times that this word Sion or Zion in English is a kingdom term. And it's almost always used in, in parallel to Jerusalem. And what's the difference between Zion and Jerusalem? Zion is Jerusalem, but in its redemptive state. And this redemptive state, notice what's happening here. We begin by speaking comfort, a comfort that's going to produce a change. And then we have a verse of scripture that speaks about one named John the Baptist, who is going to be the forerunner, who prepares the way, who calls the people to repent and get ready for Messiah, his first work. His work of redemption, which is going to bring reconciliation between humanity and God. It begins with Israel, but it's going to have its fulfillment with a, a remnant of all humanity. A, a group from every nation, tribe, tri, tri, uh, tribe, and people, tongue and people. So he says, look again at verse 9. Upon a high mountain you go up, O evangelist of Zion. Lift up with power your voice, O evangelist of Jerusalem. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Now, most of the rabbinical scholars, when you speak of this passage, this verse, and we come across this phrase, do not be afraid, it informs the reader that there's going to be much opposition to this. And this opposition is going to be rooted in a worldly perspective, wanting to hold on to these things in the world. And here's the problem. We know the Apostle Paul tells us that there's a time of apostasy coming. And this time of apostasy is going to be rooted in a mindset a, an earthly mindset rather than a kingdom mindset. What do I mean by that? There is going to be more and more indication that those that are supposed to be the servants of God, the disciples of Messiah, the, the congregation of, of Yeshua, that is the body of, of Christ, that these individuals 
are going to be thinking more in light with the thoughts of the world rather than prophetic truth. And do we not see this today? For example, the largest Protestant denomination in America, they were debating what we would call liberal propaganda. And what's so sad is that that a significant percent of this denomination embraces liberal propaganda, does not see things from a biblical standpoint. Now, they may pass a resolution affirming the Bible, but they're not receiving biblical truth. What do they want to do? They want to embrace the world, believing that that embracing of the world is going to produce a kingdom outcome. It will not. It is only when we not simply give mouth time to the word of God, but we receive it and apply it to our life and we speak it. Then and then are we going to be embracing the truth of God whereby we can give a message. We're not called to embrace the world. We're called to testify against it that its its behavior, its deeds are evil. And this liberal propaganda is just that. It is not a truth that is scripturally based, but it's based upon the deceit of man that justifies different perspectives rather than the perspective of God. So look at what it says, that it is supposed to not fear, he says, lift up with power your voice, O evangelists of Jerusalem, lift it up and do not be afraid. Speak unto the cities of Judah. Now, let me point out something. Those who embrace this liberal propaganda that manifests itself in many different ways, they are highly anti-Israel. And notice here, the the evangelist the evangelist here is called do not fear but rather it says you are to speak to the cities of judah not palestine but judah and you can almost do this without exception when someone speaks about the land of judah and wants to term use the term palestine you know that they have embraced a philosophy that is against the Scripture, that these people are in darkness, and oftentimes they are children of Satan rather than children of God. They do not represent the message, and they do not understand the future work of Messiah, that he's the one that is going to bring a change to this land, that he's the one that is going to bring a kingdom peace, not this liberal propaganda. So he says, do not be afraid, but speak to the cities of Judah. And what are we supposed to proclaim? Notice, hine elohechem, which means behold your God. Now, everyone agrees that this passage is messianic. And when it says... Behold your God. It's speaking about the coming 
of Messiah. The return of Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, into this world in order to establish his kingdom, which was going to bring a great change to Israel and the rest of the world. So it speaks again again, uh, again in regard to his divinity. Verse, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God, with power, he will come, and his arm will rule for him. Now, this one, Zeroah, very important word biblically. Now, we know that that Hebrew can be a very precise uh, word. For example, we call this an arm in English. But, but in Hebrew, we have the lower portion of the arm from here down, from the, the elbow down, which is yad. And then from the elbow up, we have the word zeroah. And what's so important is that this word zeroah comes from the same root which means a seed or an offspring. And it's in the masculine, so it's a male offspring, which can be translated a son. Now, when an animal is sacrificed, that chief portion is that upper, upper section of the arm. So this word zeroah has to do with arm, but it could be translated son, and it has a, a sacrificial aspect to it. And it's only when we understand Hebrew in these terms that we can see the, the wonder of the word of God. Behold, the Lord your God in power, he will come. And his, his son, we could translate it, most do arm, but his sacrificial son is an excellent way to understand the intent of this word, zero o will rule for him. Before, be, behold, his reward is with him, and his action is, is before him, meaning that he's going to bring a reward, and that reward, the purpose of giving that reward, is going to bring about his activity that he's going to establish. There is a relationship between the reward and the kingdom that his work is going to bring about. Verse 11. Finally, we read, As a shepherd, his flock he feeds with his arm. Now, this simply means that, that Messiah is going to shepherd his flock, and he's going to do so sacrificially. He's going to do so by providing what is required. And then it says, through that, he is going to gather the lambs into his, his chest, and he will lift up the young ones, the young ones, and he is going to do what? Guide them. Now, all of this is, is very symbolic of what we read in the New Covenant, where it says Messiah, that good shepherd, is the one that goes out, he leads the flock to go to get that, that missing sheep, and he carries him back. 
And it speaks about that these young ones, he's going to lead, that he's going to lead where? To the good pastors beside the still waters. All of that is an image of him taking his flock into the kingdom of God. So as we begin this 40th chapter, this new section in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 begins, and by the way, it is as we approach each year what's called Yom Teruah or Zichron Teruah, the remembering of the shofar blast, commonly known today as Rosh Hashanah. As we approach that time, the seven Shabbats before that, there's a special prophetic passage that's read each, each Shabbat in the synagogue. Now, it's a different prophetic passage each week, but when these seven weeks begin, that calls us to think about God's judgment, God's setting things in order. Guess what passage we begin with? The one we've just studied today. Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Speak comfort and comfort my people. This is what the call of Messiah, the work of Messiah, is all about. And it's for this reason that we see Isaiah turning his attention to some of the most marvelous messianic prophecies in all the scripture. They're contained in this final section of the book of Isaiah. So in the weeks to come, we're going to encounter these marvelous, wonderful messianic prophecies that speaks clearly to the person and the work of Messiah. And as we examine them, it leaves no doubt in anyone's mind. When we do so honestly, objectively, we find that it's Yeshua, that is Jesus of Nazareth, who is indeed the Messiah of Israel. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.